Good evening. Great to see everyone here tonight. Glad you can join us. Tonight, Brian Davis and I are going to report on Westside's trip to Thailand last October and November. Um, the travelers on this trip were Brian and his wife, Sandra, Furman and Jean Carpenter, and Ruth and myself. The purpose of our trip was twofold. First of all, we wanted to build on the work we had started the year before in our visit when we were encouraging local Thai congregations to either establish, to form elderships, or to strengthen the elderships that they have. The truth is that many congregations in Thailand do not have elders, and so it's a very timely message, and it, uh, it was a message that has been well received. Now, before I get into the, the meat of my part of the presentation, I'm going to give an overview and a description of what we did while we were there, and then Brian will follow up with some additional thoughts. But I do want to offer some thanks to several people who were very instrumental in making this trip possible. First of all, I'd like to thank Tanya Sneed because she helped me envision what our English classes that we taught to the Thai students needed to look like. So thank you, Tanya. That was much appreciated. Also, Susan Jones created literally hundreds of slides and visual aids that we used in our classes that we taught the uh, the Thai teens. Susan Taylor and Joe Randig helped us with name tags, and Derek Drake uh, was our de facto Uber driver to and from the airport, so we appreciate all of you for your help in those matters. We arrived in Bangkok, that's where we flew into to get into the country, and from there we traveled north to the city of Udon Thani. Now you can see where the number two is, that is up near the border with Laos, which is indicated by the, the uh, red line. That was our first location. We were there on a Saturday and Sunday, and we were there to offer classes that were all centered on topics related to spiritual leadership within the church and elders in particular. Here you see us approaching the building, front of the building on the left, backside on the right. On Saturday, we conducted our classes. Uh, that was a great, a great series of uh, interactions with people. We really enjoyed that, and I think the people did as well. We also had the opportunity to offer them the opportunity to study online with World Bible School. Now, many of the people there didn't speak English, so that's a bit of a non-starter. But if you'll notice the little handouts that we gave them, we encouraged them that if they don't speak English, please pass this on to someone who does. And the idea would be that if that person registered, then one of us from this congregation would be able to study with them. On Sunday, Brian brought our lesson. We worshiped with the brethren there. And here you see two of the brothers from Laos who were able to join us serving the Lord's Supper. After, or at mealtime on Saturday and on Sunday, we went out behind the building to the very nice area that they had set up and they fed us a feast. Many of these foods were new to some of us, but it was, it was excellent, and the fellowship was really, really first-rate. It was a great opportunity to get to know them and them to know us as well, so we really enjoyed that. Now, on the left, you will see Udorn Infong. Most of you know Udorn. He is uh, the uh, missionary that this congregation has worked with for nine to 
25 to 30 years, very long time. But here you see him giving an address before one of our meals. And on the right, you see Furman, who is, you see the people are holding up their markers. Well, we had brought Bibles and gave everyone a Bible. And Furman here is going through an exercise of highlighting the Bible with passages that are relevant to uh, obeying the gospel. And he challenged those folks, Furman, you remember, he challenged them to find one person and share the, these passages with them. And if we come back next year, I want you to introduce me to that new Christian. So that was really neat. Here's the inevitable group photo. Thai people really enjoy taking photographs. Now from there, from Udon Thani, we traveled to Cheng Khan, which is up right on the banks of the Mekong River, which is, forms the border between Thailand and Laos. And it was here that Udorn has this place that he, uh, he owns. And this is where we spent three days teaching 20 Thai high schoolers English. I say we spent three days teaching them English. That may be a bit of a stretch, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But this is the facility that we used for that activity. Here we see Thule preparing the registration table, very important part of what we did. And here we see the local dignitaries who are always ready to show up for a photo shoot. They came to welcome the students, which they did, but they always are ready to line up and when they see a camera. Now, if you look closely, you'll see Udorn leading the 20 students up the hill. The bus is in the background. But here they come for the first day, and here they are registering. Now, I keep mentioning registration because out of this came this. This is what we wanted, the contact information for all of the students who studied with us for three days. We knew that we were really unlikely to uh, convert any of these young people in three days, but we wanted to have this available so that Udorn could use it in follow-up with these kids and with their families. Here, Udorn is uh, welcoming the students. You see the two teachers in the red jackets standing in the background. And here we see the 20 students that we were able to interact with. I wish these photos were bigger so you could see these kids. They were truly amazing. We went there with English as a second language curriculum developed so that we could teach them some rudimentary basic English focusing primarily on vocabulary. Well, what we learned was that these kids are advanced in their English studies. We didn't know that going in. So we had to rapidly adapt our materials, but it worked out okay. But it was a real pleasure dealing with these kids, getting to know them just a little bit, forming some relationships with them. It was really a lot of fun. Now of these 20, I'll come back to these four in a few moments because they're very important. And I'll tell you why. Here we see Brian and Sandra, Furman and Jean, and Ruth and myself. Now, in addition to the English sessions that we had over the three-day period, we also had dedicated times for Bible study, Bible stories. I, I hesitate to say stories, but Bible history, if you will. In these pictures, you see that Furman had the topic of introducing them to Jesus. Who was Jesus and why is he important? So we were able to cover some very, very important material and uh, leave that with them.
Now here, we see some of the World Bible School materials that we left with the kids. And here we see them receiving the Bibles that we brought for them. They were very excited to get the Bibles. And here Furman is once again going through the highlighting of their Bibles with the kids. We played a lot of games. They enjoyed them and we did too. But in total, all of this helped us to break down barriers and to form relationships and to, to everyone to relax and to enjoy the experience and to be able to communicate well and share the good news of Jesus as best we could. Now, when we were finished, we gave each of the kids a certificate showing they had completed the three-day English course. And the sponsors, the high school teachers and those who were there, they liked that idea so much that after the second day, they went back and they created their own certificate that they would present to the teachers who were the sponsors there with the kids. And they came back, and I don't know if you can see it, but on the lower right-hand corner of that certificate, they asked if Brian David, the director of World Bible School, would sign those, and of course he did. There's the kids with their certificates. From there, from Cheng Khan, we traveled southeast down to Konkain, another large city. And we went to the Nong Kung Church of Christ, a congregation in that city. We were here Saturday and Sunday. We repeated the process we'd done the weekend before. We taught lessons Saturday. Sunday, Brian brought our lesson. We worshiped with the brethren there. Ruth taught a ladies' class, handed out the Bibles, and then Furman went through that exercise again of highlighting the Bibles. Now, I'm including these here just to show you. It really struck me. This, we were not just meeting with a group of old people. There were elderly people here. There were very young people here. And there were people of all ages in between. And it was a true joy to be with them and to worship with them and to study with them. They fed us well, too. And the photo. Now, I've got to say just a word about Thule and his wife, Nui. We couldn't have done this trip literally without them. Every time Furman or Brian or myself stood up to teach, Thule was there. I thought I had to do three or four lessons. Wow. Well, he had to translate my three or four, Brian's three or four, Furman. Every time one of us spoke, he was up translating, and he did a wonderful job. Nui as well served well with Ruth and the ladies for the ladies' uh, translation, so we really appreciated their efforts. Then it was time to board the aircraft and fly home. You see in front uh, Udorn, and just to the left, that's a gentleman named Kamal, and I'll talk about him more in just a moment. So what happened after we left? What about follow-up? Well, here you see on the left Udorn, and you see Kamal in the middle, and on the right is a man whose name is Dusit. Now, Kamal and Dusit are members at the Nongkung congregation in Konkane, the last location we were at. And these two men are scheduled to be appointed elders at that congregation. So we were very thrilled to hear that news. Now, you remember I showed you the list of contact information for the English class students. Well, as a result of that, Here's Arthur. Arthur was one of those students. Arthur, I think, was one of my favorites. He was a bit of a shy young man, kind of held back, 
We tried to do everything we could to encourage him and build him up a little bit, but he was, uh, it was great to meet Arthur. Well, after we left, here we see Udorn with Arthur and with his father. So we see that list of names coming into play here and Udorn using that to visit. Here we see Pamai. Pamai was a wonderful young lady. And here we see Udorn visiting her and her parents. And then here we see Zen, the young man in the upper left, and his girlfriend, Yam. Now I'll tell you later about the nicknames if you're interested. Every one of the kids had a nickname. But this is Zen and Yam, and this is Udorn visiting with them. Now I wrote Udorn just a few days ago and asked him if there were any updates. And he told me that these students are now studying the Bible. And he has invited them to worship. So we're very hopeful that that will continue in that direction and uh, that uh, uh, that will be successful. And here we see Udorn sharing Bibles with people in his neighborhood, in his city. Uh, some of the extra Bibles that we had that we left with him for that purpose. <clears throat> One of the things I didn't mention before that I had meant to, at both Udon Tani, the first congregation we visited, there were actually six congregations represented there. And then in Concane at the Nongkung congregation, there were four congregations that came together for our visits there. So the messages that we brought uh, have, have, been, uh, have gone out to several congregations, and we hope certainly that will make a very positive difference going forward. Tonight, I would simply ask all of you to pray for those students and their families, pray for those men who are to be appointed elders, pray for those congregations and for all the Christians in Thailand. In closing my part of the presentation, I'll tell you that the missions committee is considering the possibilities of a follow-up visit this fall. So if you're interested in that or want to learn more or perhaps would be interested in going on that trip, please talk to Josh Snee, John Gonzalez, or to myself. We'd be happy to chat with you. Brian? If I were to hold this book up, those of you who have longtime members here, what would you say? You're a little shy tonight. What would you say if I hold this up? This is the book we go by. That's exactly right. That is not a trite ritual that we say here at Westside. That's actually literally what our goal is. We want to be the church in this Bible. We want to be a New Testament church under the kingship of Christ. And so everything we do as a congregation, everything we do as a spiritual body, everything we believe and teach comes from this book. And just in the same manner as how we learn to become Christians, how we learn to organize the church, how we learn to worship, how we learn to live daily, we also learn the principles of mission work from this book. And it's very important for the missions committee, as well as our eldership, to share with you some of the mission's principles that govern what we do and how we do it. It's important because missions is not just something one committee does. It's not something that's just a hobby for certain people. It is part of the three great works of the church. 
the book of Mark and Matthew, and then later explained further in the book of Ephesians, tells us that the church has three great works. Often we refer to those as benevolence, edification. The third one is evangelism. In evangelism, you have not only that which starts at home, but you have that which accomplishes the Great Commission to go into every ethnic group. Panta ta ethne, go into all the world. Literally, that means go into every ethnic group. So every people group on earth is included in the mission. But we have to get started. And to get started, we have to take seriously the definitions of missions. Sandra and I just recently were at the Fried Hardeman Lectureship where they had asked me to teach basic principles of missions at the lectureship. And so these are important biblical principles that every member of the church, having responsibility for the three great works of the church, needs to understand, needs to know, and needs to know how the church is pursuing those responsibilities. Quite often, we get our definitions confused as we look at the works of the church. Quite often, we can say we're going on a mission trip, and we only do benevolence. Or quite often, we'll say we're going on a mission trip, and we only serve the saved within the church, which is edification. And whereas those two works are wonderful and good and appropriate, we shouldn't confuse that for evangelism, which is by definition going to someone who does not know Jesus and teaching the gospel message so that that person can be saved and the end result will be the church of Christ. As individuals are taught in, an, in a location, within an ethnic group, within a culture, within a country, those who obey the gospel must be gathered together and taught how to become members of the New Testament church, members of the church of Christ, following Jesus' leadership as the head of his church. And so, quite often, our definitions become blurry as we don't quite go the distance to make sure that the results of our efforts are planting Jesus' church. Every mission work, whether domestic or international, will result in Jesus' church being planted on earth. We need to understand that. And we need to pursue that relentlessly. I want to, in my comments, talk about how we as a missions committee here at Westside, how the elders study these matters in scriptures, give guidance to our missions committee, and the missions committee works tirelessly to see how these principles can be applied in every mission work that we participate in. In Thailand, as Bill mentioned, it has been one of our longest mission works, in fact, the longest mission work that we've been involved in. Some 30 years we've been working to preach the gospel in Thailand. Well, are there churches involved in that? Absolutely. Udorn has worked probably with uh, some 30 or so congregations in the country of Thailand in those years that he has been working with, the, with planting the church there. And so plant, uh, church plants have taken place. They do exist. And that's a wonderful 
recognition of the fruit that God brings from the labor. It has been a very fruitful work. As we work with churches, how do we measure their health? How do we measure where we are in the process? That's some of the most important principles that we as a missions committee work with and that we as a congregation need to be aware of and praying about. The chart you see here is one that helps many missionaries get their minds wrapped around how to measure the health of what God is producing with indigenous church plants. Now, when I use the word indigenous, what does that mean? The word indigenous means that something can grow in a healthy way in the environment in which it exists. Sometimes you've heard of indigenous plants, and if you have a, an invasive species of plant, it moves in and it chokes out the indigenous plants. And people will be all up uh, in an uproar about that and want to weed out the invasive plants. Well, the Great Commission that tells us to go into every ethnic group on earth teaching the gospel, there is a necessary inference to that command, to that commission. The necessary inference of Jesus telling us we must go and teach the gospel, which naturally, as we see in the book of Acts, will result in churches being planted, means that every culture on earth the church can be planted and it can grow and thrive indigenously. In other words, it can grow and thrive in a healthy way in that environment. And some of those environments are quite hostile. If you look at the environment of Thailand, Christianity is not one of the major religions in that country. Do you know the major religion in that country? It's Buddhism. Buddhism is by far and above the largest religion in Thailand. In fact, when you are born in Thailand, you are born a, a Buddhist. You are considered that just by being born in that nation. And so, it is not necessarily a friendly environment for Christianity in that people are pursuing a different religion. But can Christ's church be planted in a healthy way and it grow and thrive even in Thailand? Well, the missions committee has to evaluate that as we go. Looking at these four selves, we call them the four selves of missions, where churches need to become self-supporting, they need to become self-governing, they need to become self-theologizing, which is just a fancy way of saying able to handle the Word of God aright for themselves. And ultimately, they need to become self-propagating. In other words, they accept the responsibilities of the three great works of the church themselves. They edify the church. They are benevolent to those outside and inside the family of God. And they accept the responsibility of preaching the gospel at home, and ultimately joining us in missions around the world. And so these principles help us measure the health of any church. One of the great principles that's embodied here is the concept of sustainability. For any of you who have participated in missions, there is nothing more discouraging than investing the time, blood, sweat, and tears in planting a church 
And as long as the foreign missionary is working, it's going well, but as soon as they leave, it evaporates. That's not the kind of measure of success that we want to see. We want to see sustainability in the planting and the work that we do on earth. And so often, church planting begins with preaching points. And this is the rationale behind using bridge-building techniques, such as the teaching of English to English students in the city of Chang Khan, that opened up doorways for our missionary there to be able to pursue those contacts for Bible study, for conversion, and for helping people find their place in the body of Christ. And so preaching points always have to have some sort of bridge-building activity to get to know people in a different culture, especially a, a, an ethnic group who does not pursue naturally Christianity. And I think Bill will agree with me, and Furman and Gene, there was an openness to learn about Christ. There was a, a willingness to discuss what Jesus teaches, but it had to go beyond that. It had to go to where Jesus could confront people with a decision of whether or not to place him in the sovereign place or whether to place Buddha in the sovereign place. And so it has to get to that point as we teach in different cultures. From our preaching points, then those who do obey the gospel need to be gathered into church plants and taught how to be Christ's church. They need to be taught how to function, to worship, to live, to organize as a New Testament church. And this is the book we go by. Everything that has to do with what a church should be and how it should function is given to us by Jesus and his apostles. And so it was a joy for us to be able to worship with some of these congregations that were 30 years old as we were interacting with them. And as you see here, those from Laos who came across the border, Laos is a communist country. You cannot be a missionary of Christianity in Laos. It is a very hostile environment. But the Christians in Thailand are finding ways to get the message out in the country of Laos. You can take short-term trips in, but how do you teach the gospel and plant the church? These young men are students in preacher training schools of the churches of Christ, learning how to take the gospel back to their own country. There they are serving the Lord's Supper to us, just as we see in the New Testament. But there are these thresholds of measurements that are biblical principles we must strive to achieve as missionaries, as a mission-sending congregation. One of the first things that can be accomplished rather quickly is self-support. However, as Americans, sometimes we get into the mindset of, oh, those people are so poor, bless their hearts, they will never be able to do for themselves. If we truly believe that, then we have already gutted the Great Commission of Jesus. We have, by default of our own cultural perspective, decided that the Great Commission is good for wealthy nations, but it cannot exist in poor nations. Is that true? 
Is that what the, the Great Commission implies? Is that the necessary inference of go preach the gospel to every ethnic group? It is not. It turns out that the Church of Christ can live and thrive in poverty areas as well as wealthy areas. And so we must allow people to participate fully in the life of the church, which includes sacrificial giving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we often read this verse when it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Who was that given to? Just the church at Jerusalem, where they had a lot of wealthy Christians? No, that was given to a mission church in Galatia. That was given to churches in poverty. And thus, we must challenge churches to become self-supporting and participate fully in the, the financial responsibilities of Christ's church. The next threshold that we want to look at is the self-theologizing. How do you handle the Word of God aright within your culture? Because every culture has a few points that they must really focus on in order to teach the gospel of Christ powerfully in their community. One of the things we noticed as we interacted with, with Thailand society is that they did have a high religion of Buddhism, but in Chiang Khan on every corner is a, an idol of a spirit of the river. And they have celebrations worshiping the spirits of the river. That's pagan religion. That's low religion, as missionaries refer to it. There's no scriptures. There's no priesthood. But it is heartfelt, and many of our English students believed in those river spirits, even though they also believed in Gautama Siddhartha Buddha. And so we have to help them know how to handle the Word of God aright and challenge their beliefs of whether they will give their allegiance to the river spirits, to Buddha, or to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ does not share His sovereignty with anyone. And that's, a, that's the crux of the matter that must be taught. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We were so thrilled to see the preacher training that was going on with the Laotian students, helping them be able to preach powerfully the word of God within the country of Laos. Another principle is self-propagation. Now, all the missionary textbooks will tell you that self-propagation should come right at the very beginning of any church planting work. In my experience, it usually is the last thing to show up. It may be because of the groups of the eight different cultures I've lived and worked in, but this seems to be one that comes towards the end in my experience. Some missionaries do see it come very quickly. But it was a joy to see those in Thailand joyfully picking up the task of evangelism, joyfully picking up the task of missions to Laos, and pursuing that as their own responsibility. Here's a gentleman that, as we got to know him, 
He was highly tattooed. He was a part of one of the uh, more ruthless gangs in Thailand, yet the church had shared the gospel with him and kept at it, and it was Udorn who taught this gentleman and helped him become a Christian, and now he's a leader in the church. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 through 19 tells us, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And so our brethren in Thailand must take this up. And here, one of the things that uh, seems to be coming last for our work in Thailand is the hallmark or the threshold of church plant health of self-governance. Now, in some cultures I've worked in, this is one of the first things that develops. But within the Thai culture, this has been one that has challenged us. We have 30 congregations over 30 years, and five years ago, the missions committee was evaluating the work, and we recognized we only had one shaky congregation with the emergence of leadership. And so for the past five years, we have been working with our brothers and sisters there, teaching the principles of leadership for Christ's church. Because what happens with a 30-year work if elders and deacons are not appointed? The apostle said, put in order what is lacking to the evangelists that he was teaching, Titus and Timothy. Put in order. What if you have things out of order and the mission work ceases and they're allowed to stand on their feet without New Testament leadership? They are pawns in the hands of Satan to be turned into something different than New Testament Christianity. That's the great risk if we do not complete the task of seeing healthy churches with healthy New Testament leadership emerge. Sometimes we have to challenge cultures with male spiritual leadership because elders have to be married to one wife. And so some cultures are matrilineal, and that's a challenge for them. Now here in Thailand, the problems seem to be they live in a kingdom and they're used to one man being in charge. And so inadvertently, those we had trained to be preachers over the years were looked to to be the one man in charge. Well, if you have a really wonderful one man preacher, that can work for a little while. But what if you get a bad preacher? What is Jesus' method of ensuring the safety and the maturity and the longevity and the sustainability of the church? It is leadership with a plurality of elders serving as shepherds of a congregation and deacons serving the needs of the church. That leadership is the safest form of leadership of Christ's church because it was crafted by Jesus himself. Acts 14.23 says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And that has been our purpose and our mission. We hope that you see these principles matter. We look at every dollar you contribute to missions here at Westside, and we have to be challenged with the principle of not, avoid, not confusing Jesus 
with George Washington. How we apply money in a developing country or in any country has to be done with great discernment and with great wisdom so that people are accepting their responsibilities in Christ themselves. And so that our funds are contributing to churches standing on their own two feet and becoming mature. It was a great joy, as Bill mentioned, that at the last uh, seminar that we taught, that that group had identified for that congregation two men who were willing to take up the task of serving in an eldership. And we pray diligently for them. This gentleman asked a very poignant question in the question and answer period. His question was, knowing that this church had existed for 25, 30 years and did not have elders, his question was, can we go to heaven if we don't have an eldership? I had never been asked that question before. Well, it's a very important question, and it's one that took a little while to explain. In Christianity, we don't ask questions of minimum. We don't set our goals on what is the minimum I can get by with. In Jesus, we say, how close to being like Jesus can we be? In New Testament Christianity, how can we be like the church described in the ideal in the New Testament by Jesus and his apostles? And so we urged him to rephrase his question, to which he said, how close can we get to being the church of the New Testament here at this location? And that will be the best path for this church standing strong until Jesus comes. And that's so true. It's so true of everything we do here at Westside. Are we striving to be the best that we can be? What about becoming a Christian? What about obeying the gospel? You know, we are surrounded in our world today by people who look for a minimum of how to become a Christian. This morning we had a beautiful lesson on this, and as we saw one respond to the gospel, but the majority of Christendom now looks for minimums on how they can obey the gospel. I just accept Jesus into my heart, or I just say a little prayer, and it becomes a very personal thing that doesn't have much to do with the corporate body of Christ thing, doesn't have to do with the church thing. Well, you see, therein lies the problem of minimums. Because everyone who became a Christian was organized into Jesus' church everywhere on earth in every ethnic group. That's what we want to look to be. And thus, when it comes to being a Christian, we preach the whole gospel that Jesus died and was buried and is resurrected and lives today as our Lord and Savior that he teaches us in the Gospels and in every example in the book of Acts. If I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then I will repent of my sins and my self-willed life. I will begin walking as Jesus walks, for he is my law now as he lives the embodiment of what it means to obey the law of God in the New Testament era. I will proclaim Jesus as my Lord by confessing his name before men. I'm not going to be secretive or hide my beliefs. And when it comes to someone putting me bodily underwater, 
something that is a very unnatural experience, I will embrace it because it is the embodiment, the living out, the replicating of the death, burial, and resurrection. And rather than fighting that because it's inconvenient or uncomfortable, I will embrace it when Jesus says, this is the point at which I come into Christ. I die to myself and I'm raised a new child of God. No discussion further needed. No argument needed. I'm going to follow what Jesus says because I want to be just as Jesus asks me to be. I want to believe just what he asks me to believe and I want to obey just what he asks me to obey. The great tragedy of Buddhism is that it is a wisdom religion. I'm born in Thailand. I'm a Buddhist. I may read some of the scriptures, and it's all a personal philosophy of life. I'm not a part of a living, dynamic family. I'm not a part of a covenant relationship with Creator God. It is just a philosophy I'm going to live with and be religiously loyal to. That's a very cold, sad existence. In fact, Gautama Siddhartha Buddha, as he was trying to find meaning of life, the only meaning he landed on was that the only way for pain to cease in this life is to cease to exist and merge with nirvana. Spiritual suicide was his answer, and an entire country is pursuing that philosophy. Not in Christ. Jesus offers his invitation for you tonight he is alive and well, and he's reigning at the right hand of God, and he will enter you into a covenant relationship with him that will change your life today and for eternity. And if you have not obeyed that gospel, we give you that invitation tonight and ask you to come and confess his name, repenting of your sins, and we will assist you in being baptized into Christ. If you're a Christian and you have wandered away, your spiritual family here tonight longs for you to come home. And we will lift you up in prayer and we will be a spiritual family to you and encourage you every step of the way. If you're facing challenges, you just do not know how it is going to work out and you would like the prayers of this family, we're always ready to pray for any need that you might have. Whatever your need is, won't you come as together we stand and sing the hymn announced.